Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning and will join me as we read out of Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the fourth of what is known as the penitential psalms. There are seven penitential psalms seeking God's forgiveness for sin. And you'll note that the psalm says, A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And we can read about that story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. So whether indeed David actually penned this psalm or some other uh, anonymous writer sought to connect it to that particular historical setting in David's life, we don't know for sure. But what I would like for you to do this morning as we read the psalm is to think of a time in your life when some known sin separated you from God and you sought his forgiveness. As you hear the psalm read this morning, see if perhaps these words spoke and said for you what you could not say then, or perhaps maybe there is some sin right now that God is inviting you to confess and acknowledge, and these words speak for you what you are unable to do for yourself. Listen to these words and follow along with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, I really like the story of the minister of music at a congregation. Michael, I bet you've done something like this, wanting to recruit some new members for the chancel choir. And this minister of music decided to write a newsletter column to encourage members of the congregation who had an interest in singing and that kind of musical talent to join the chancel choir. But somewhere in the editing process, there was a mistake that was made that was not caught by anyone. And so when the line went into the newsletter, it should have read, all those who can sing enthusiastically are invited to be a part of the chancel choir. And instead, it read, all those who can sin enthusiastically are invited to be a part of the chancel choir. Now, I want to assure you this morning that our chancel choir can sing enthusiastically. And because I know so many of them so well, I have a suspicion that they can sin enthusiastically. But I'm going to let them speak for themselves, and I don't want to indict them in any shape, form, or fashion. Isn't it wonderful, Michael, to be a minister of music who has people who love to sing enthusiastically? But you know, the fact is, every one of us in this room, every day's reality confirms to us that we are a people who know how to sin, and sometimes sin enthusiastically. And this is what we have here in this text. Psalm 51 is a confession of deep, deep sin. Significant sin, indeed, if it has been associated with David's sin of adultery. But regardless, all sin is significant. And it models for us how we can deal with that sin in God's way. So this morning, I want us us to take a few moments to look at this idea of our awfulness, but God's awesomeness. Now, you know, human character and behavior, ever since the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, has been marked by sin and rebellion. And that is what our awfulness is all about. It's about our sin and it's about our rebellion. A writer has described the plight that we all find ourselves in at some time or shape or or, uh, fashion in our lives in a poem that is entitled, It, I-T. Here is how It, the poem, goes. They laugh and smile and talk and embrace, and I do too. But sometimes my smile covers a tear, and no one knows why. Right now, my tear is from an it. I'm so sorry, so very sorry that I did it. I feel like a broken record. Boy, this is an old poem, isn't it? Broken record. I feel like a broken record and the skip. Remember when you used to put the needle on the record and sometimes it'd skip? I feel like a broken record and the skip is the it that never completely goes away. 
What would they think about me if they knew about my it? Would the laughs vanish? The smiles disappear? Would the talk be hurled at me? The embrace taken back? Do they have an it? What do they do with it? Why do we act for each other when there is no play? There is only life. And that life includes a lot of it. The point is not to celebrate it, but only to admit to it. Now the psalmist in this particular text uses several words to describe or acknowledge it. It is anything that separates us from God due to unconfessed sin. So I want to put on the screen for just a moment a few of the words that the psalmist uses to describe it, to describe sin. The first word that is used here is transgressions. The psalmist asked God to blot out his transgressions. And that particular Hebrew word means willful rebellion or revolt against God. It, it's an intentionality of, of decision-making. The second word that's used is iniquity. The psalmist asked God to wash him completely of his iniquity. That, that's an interesting Hebrew word that can mean perverse. It can mean something that is bent or twisted, something that represents distorted behavior thinking, speaking, or attitude. It can also mean to act wrongly, and out of that action, you begin to feel a sense of guilt. Then the psalmist also uses the word sin. That's translated in your English Bibles, sin. The Hebrew word for sin, God, uh, the psalmist invites God to cleanse him from his sin. That particular Hebrew word means to miss the mark or the goal. So if any of you have uh, ever done any target shooting, and you've done it with a bow and an arrow or a pistol or a rifle, and you're aiming for the center of the target, and you miss it, you've missed the mark. Or perhaps you're in sales, and there are some sales goals or quotas that have been met, that, that have been set for you or for your company, and you've not quite made the goal, then you've missed them. And that's what that word sin means. It means to miss the mark. You've aimed for something and you've missed it. It can also mean some spiritual or moral failure. A little bit later in the psalm, it mentions the word evil. The psalmist acknowledges that he has done evil in God's sight. And that word evil suggests the injurious effects that takes place of our sinful behavior. And those effects have a, uh, a, um, a consequence against ourselves often. Many times it has a consequence against other people. And certainly there's a consequence of God. So, so four words that are used here, and that's the beauty, I think, of so many languages that English lacks. We use the word sin in English. But in the Hebrew, and there are several more words beyond these words that really describe and get at the true meaning of what sin is about. Thank you for putting that on the sin. On, on, the, on the sin. On the screen. They both begin with an S. 
That's another example of when your brain tells your lips to say something and your brain is saying this word and your lips say another one. You know, sin is like a disease. I, I want you to think about sin as being more than specific action, behavior, thinking, speaking, attitudes of the mind and the heart. Sin is a disease. It's a pervasive disease. The psalmist says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now you know in the last couple of days, we've, Leslie and I have had a chance to, to see our two grandchildren. And we've not seen them for five or six, seven weeks. And, you know, I look at that little granddaughter who's now two years and three months old, and then I look at the, the little grandson that's about seven months old. And especially with the seven-month-old son. Or I look at little Blair here, Nikki and Anthony. And, and it's hard to believe that the essence of who these small children are is, is wrapped up in sin. I look at that little seven-month-old grandson, and he's just sitting there grinning at me. How in the world could he be sinful from the moment that he was conceived in his mother's womb? Now, the two-year-old and three-month-old granddaughter, I'm starting to see some evidence of sin <laughs> in her life that's marked by occasional visits to the timeout chair. There was about three minutes spent in the timeout chair yesterday morning. But we look at these innocent, precious children and we think about how in the world could they represent sin. And yet the psalmist says from the moment of their conception, and that applies to you and me too, from the moment of our conception, we've been wrapped up in sin. And that's why the psalmist cries out to God for help. Because he knows that he's been alienated from God and he knows that he needs God's forgiveness and that that's why we hear this constantly in this psalm wash me clean clean me up wash me what do, what do you do when you get dirty you go get a bath you go get a shower wash me and I shall be whiter than snow purge me with hyssop and I will be clean fill me with gladness and joy cast me not away from your presence restore to me the joy of your salvation the psalmist is going beyond self-forgiveness and forgiveness of others and asking God to forgive. Because you know, in the final analysis, sin offends and wounds God in such a way that we need His forgiveness. H have you ever th thought about those times in your life, in your childhood, when you did things that hurt, offended, or wounded your parents. Now for some of you, present company included, it's been a number of decades since you've been in your childhood. Since you've been a young person. But can you think back even right now and think of something you said, something you did, some attitude that you had against your parents that wounded that parent? Hurt that parent? Offended that parent? And for those of you who are parents, can you remember those times when maybe a child said or did something that was a displeasure to you and wounded and hurt you and offended you? You see, that part of our life, that sin tendency, that's the awful part of our life that begins to show up. 
Because it causes pain on both sides of the equation. It causes pain for us, and sometimes we forget that our sin causes pain and deep sadness on God's part as well. Now, you know, God has a way to deal with that sin, and part of that way of His dealing with our sin and the pain that it causes is through confession and through what we call repentance. Repentance means you're going in one direction, you decide to go in the other one. The word repentance means to have a change of mind, a change of heart. And I want to put something on the screen. It's entitled An Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. And this is a little bit of what I think repentance is like. Here's chapter one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. Sin's never my fault, right? It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. That's chapter one. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see that it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are wide, are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. And look at chapter 5. I walk down another street. Now that's repentance. That's confession. Where I name and own the sin that does damage and harm to me and to others and especially to God. I name it. I own it. I confess it. I walk down another street. That is repentance. And that leads us from the paths of our awfulness to the path of God's awesomeness. Because God's awesomeness is shaped by His mercy, it's shaped by His love, and it's shaped by His forgiveness. You know the story of your life and my life, the reason it keeps going on? is not because of our character. It keeps going on because of God's character that's grounded in His love. The very first verse of this psalm calls on God to be a God of mercy and steadfast love and compassion. That word mercy, what an interesting word if you understand Hebrew and you're able to dig into what it really means. You know what that word mercy means? That word mercy means womb love. W-O-M-B. Womb love. From the moment that a woman becomes pregnant with a child, there is a love for that child that begins to grow and develop. And when that child enters, that, enters our world, that love deepens and continues. That is what the psalmist is saying. God, have womb love. 
Because later on in the psalm, he talked about from the moment I was conceived, I was a person of sin. Well, guess what? From the moment we are conceived, we are loved deeply by God out of this womb love that he has for us. And then he uses the word steadfast love. That steadfast love means that sacred agreement that God has with us and for us that despite our sin, our failure, our mistakes, the times we've messed up, that God has a contract, a covenant with us. He won't forget about us. He won't let us down. You know, one of the great wonders of the Christian faith is that when that horrible it occurs in your life and in my life, some sin that is eventually known and perhaps at a point that has not been confessed, when that it rears its ugly head and attempts to drive us down into defeat, despair, guilt, shame, guess what else rears its beautiful head? God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion blots out our sin and transforms us into people who do not have to be held in bondage by that sin. You know, before the days of computers, remember the little bottle that you used to buy all the time when you needed to fix an error on your paper? What was it called? White out. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I'm not spending as much money on whiteout these days. Why? Because of computers. See, we can go back. We, we realize there's been a mistake made, so we just go back to the page, and we correct it, and we just reprint it, and all is well. But back in the days when you were writing letters, or I remember writing term papers, or writing presentations or reports or handouts for a class or something you were leading, some legal document, some real estate document, there's some kind of mistake, hey, white it out, right? Just blot it out and change it. So I wonder if, if the folks who make white out are having some financial difficulties today because we're not buying as much as we used to. But, but here's what I want you to understand. God is not as much inter as interested in blotting out and wiping out your sin as he is creating a brand new sheet of paper. A brand new sheet of paper. He wants to completely obliterate and break and tear down and destroy and kill off the old self. I'm trying to get you ready for next Sunday and then the Sunday following, which is called Palm Passion Sunday and then Easter. God is trying to crucify and kill off the old self in you and in me so that he can raise up. That's called resurrection. And he didn't mean it just for Jesus. He meant it for you. To raise up a new self in your place. That's why the psalmist writes, Create in me. Resurrect in me. Bring into existence something that was not there before in me. A new heart and a right spirit, O oh God. Crucifixion and resurrection is what God has been about since the beginning of time, and it was finished in Jesus. You know, someone has written that when God buries our deepest sin in the deepest seas, he posts a sign which reads, No fishing. 
when you get the full washing from God, when you get the eternal cleansing and creation of a new heart, there's no need any longer to do any fishing in that spot for all of that stuff that God has buried and seeks to kill off and do away with because of His love and His forgiveness. It's just simply time to forget our awfulness and to celebrate His awesomeness. The awesomeness that's marked by His grace, by His love, His mercy, His forgiveness. This morning, we're going to sing one of those, what I think is one of the great hymns of the Christian faith. It is the hymn, Just As I Am. Hymn number 488 in your hymnal. And as we sing this hymn together, maybe there is some point of embarrassment or shame or guilt some place where you feel disconnected, alienated from God. Some place where you need His washing and His cleansing. Some place where you need for Him to kill off a part of who you are and raise up something to newness of life. There could be somebody here today who has carried around some sin, some shame, some guilt, not just for days or weeks or months, but years. And God wants you to know this morning that despite your awfulness, He is an awesome God and He knows how to forgive. And He knows how to work with you to start over. So as we sing the hymn, I hope it will be a time that you'll be reminded of His awesomeness. I hope that it will be a moment in which if there's someone here who has never made that decision to become a Jesus follower that you will decide to do that and come and share that decision with me. Maybe you've been through the Oakmont 101 class and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. Maybe you need to go back to the prayer station and write a prayer. Pray for someone else. Pray with one of our ministers. Whatever God is stirring in your heart, I hope you'll recognize it as the work of the Holy Spirit and I hope that you will respond as we stand together and sing our hymn. Let's stand.
Well, friends, good morning and welcome again to worship at Oakmont. It's good to see you and good to be his people together. It may be that you are a longtime member, a first-time guest, a returning guest, but as we share in this time of worship together, we stand on the same equal footing. We are God's people, so welcome to all. I want to ask you to take the Burgundy Fellowship pads in just a moment and move them up and down your pews. We also want to say welcome to those who may be worshiping this morning by way of Cable Channel 7 or live streaming this service. As we continue in our worship today, we also want to practice being generous givers to return to God His tithes and our offerings. So I want to ask our ushers to come now, and as they do, we're going to receive our offering this morning, mindful of the many blessings that God has sent our way. <laughs> 